Nothing brings people together like drinking beer at 10 a.m. on a Wednesday. <laughs> You're listening to the Gaming News Canada show with Steve McAllister, recorded live on Twitter Spaces. Follow Gaming News CA on Twitter to join the live audience. Welcome, everybody, to the Gaming News Canada show, our first remote uh, show. <laughs> and I uh, can't thank Pat Eichner from Points Bet Canada enough, and uh, Scotty Vanderwell, and, and Nick Slalski, Chantel Cipriano, Dave Rivers, and everybody at Points Bet Canada. If you read the newsletter this morning, it's an exciting day for, for Points Bet. I guess about uh, two hours from uh, an official opening event here at the uh, the headquarters on the west side of downtown Toronto, and uh, we're going to have Scotty's going to join us in a few minutes, the CEO of, of Points Bet Canada. And, and uh, but let's start, Nick, uh, before we get into the headlines of the week. And Nick, just uh, thank you. And we uh, we got together a few a few. I don't know what you call inkstain wretches anymore in the digital world. I don't know if it's you know our RSI RSI inflicted uh, people or what, whatever, but. Uh, the Points Bet Canada gang treated the media. We got a chance to tour the uh, tour the offices here last night, and um, we were joking a few minutes ago about the swanky offices. It's a nice space, and and um, Nick and I were talking about a, a man of brewer and Kinder Group having space downtown. And and it, again, Nick, it's just uh, it's just nice to see this industry and seeing that the investments that that's taking place on behalf of not not just Torontonians but Ontarians and Canadians. Well, yeah, I mean, I think even from, from day one, a lot of us were so excited about this market opening because what it would mean, not just because of tax revenues into the province and responsible gambling in the regulatory framework to protect Ontario sports bettors, but I mean, there's a, there's a trickle, there's a, there's a, a clear trickle down positive effect on, on Ontario and on Toronto specifically based on jobs, based on, you know, now, you know, we're, we're all paying office space. Like there is a lot more economic benefit to the regulated framework than just tax revenues into the province, right? And opening up an office right in the center of the city. I mean, it's 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 exciting, and it, you know, it helps with recruitment, and you know, it's it's going to help shine, I think, an even more positive light on on kind of the, the evolution of a healthy regulated gaming ecosystem. Right. Yeah, and I think just when you talk about healthy, Nick, just talking to some of the staff here last night and again today, being in the office here for a few hours, just the fact that in a post-pandemic environment that we've got over 50 employees at Points by Canada now and, and people really seem to appreciate the fact that they can come to an office during the week and then you guys are working off a hybrid model, which I think is fantastic. But those those conversations around the coffee pot and, and at lunchtime, I mean, no. I think most of us miss having those conversations the last two and a half years. Dude, like, and I made, I'm making this joke a little bit. Like, this is personally my first ever office. Like, I've never really worked in an office before. And coming off of the pandemic, even before the pandemic, working remote, you know, I, I don't think I truly appreciated how much fun it is to be able to collaborate with people in person, but there's a really cool energy around it. And to your point, like the hybrid work life model, I think is here to stay or here for a long time, right? I think that what 
what the pandemic and remote work has taught employers is that you can look for the best talent, not just the best talent in your city or near your office, right? So I think that definitely allows the net to get spread wider. But that hybrid approach that, you know, Scotty and, and, and Chantel definitely quarterbacked here, I think it's a really great middle ground because, you know, we don't ask employees to come in every day. You know, we, we, we make an effort to come in kind of Tuesday, Wednesdays and Thursdays. And, you know, and, and people are, are, are doing that. And the energy around uh, the space is it's, it's, it's pretty cool to see the kind of pandemic world really bounce away from, you know, for us face to face. So, yeah, no, it's, it's been really great so far. I want to save a couple of questions for Scotty when he stops by in a couple of minutes, Nick. But I did want to ask you, maybe if you can just talk a bit about the event later today and, and some of the people that are going to be here and, and again, why why you thought it was important. I think, you know, we had a bit of a ribbon-cutting ceremony that you guys had in, in uh, I think, the late summer. But why was it important for you to have an event like this today? I mean, you know, I think it was important. You know, we, we really have prided ourselves on the partnership-first approach. Um, and we've we've built relationships and built you know uh, partnerships um, with a lot of great organizations, not only you know in Ontario but national NSOs. They have hosted us and treated us incredibly well, welcomed us into their world. It only felt right to to do the same thing. We want to we want to welcome our partners into our world so they can see where our hard work is being done, not only to build our brand, but to help complement theirs. But at the same time, I think, you know, some of the other folks that are coming, and we talk about partnerships, you know, the two organizations that might be our most important partners, the AGCO and IGO, well, they're going to be attending as well, and they're going to be able to see firsthand what a regulated gaming operation looks like and how the people interact with one another. Um, and, you know, Minister Downey is going to be attending as well, which is pretty exciting. Um, so I, I think it's really about bringing the entire world of points bet together. And that includes all of our amazing partners, whether they're, you know, MLSE, whether they're Curling Canada or whether they're the AGCO and I go. I think it's important for everyone to be able to celebrate the, I think, well, it's not that I think, the first major kind of office opening within, you know, within the city. Yeah, Amanda Brewer, before Scotty Vanderwell just walked in, but before we get to Scotty, Amanda, just as someone who's been an advocate for this industry for 20 years, and, you know, we had the Points Bet event this afternoon, and we had GeoComply open its Toronto office a couple of weeks ago. I mean, it must be, for someone like you, this this is a, a kind of the culmination of probably, what, two decades of, of working to, to just get to this point. Well, it's also sort of underscoring the points that, you know, I go back, you know, 15 years ago to meetings that Troy Frost and I were having at Queen's Park. It really does underscore the benefits that we said to government would follow by them legalizing iGaming and, you know, opening this market up. So we certainly hope it's something that other provinces are starting to look at and pay attention um, because, there are a lot of great ancillary benefits that do follow um, with a regulated iGaming market. And so congratulations to PointsBet for the investment it's making. It's, it's fabulous for this, for this province. 
Thanks, Amanda. Yeah, Scotty Vanderwell, we want, want to welcome you here and appreciate you dropping by. I know you're a busy guy, obviously a lot busier than Nick is, but... Always, uh, always a lot busier. I, you know, I love that that's now on the public record. So that's, uh, that's fantastic. I'm just, I'm just busting Nick's chops. Uh, listen, congratulations, Scotty. As I mentioned at the top here, it was nice, uh, nice to get together with you and Nick and the, the gang last night and get a bit of a, a tour with some other media types. And, um, you know, one thing I talked to Nick about the fact that in, in a post-COVID world, we've got, you know, 50-some people coming to work at these offices now. And we were talking a bit about this last night, just the, the kind of talent that this industry is attracting. And obviously, Points Bet Canada is a bit of a beneficiary of that talent. Yeah, I mean, from from my perspective, that's been one of the amazing things, right? Because uh, you know, the, the 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 first of all, we got to sort of pause and acknowledge the fact that there, uh, Canada, just on a global basis, puts out some very talented um, young professionals, right? So you look at our education system, look at any of the metrics, and Canada stacks up uh, against against the world in that regard. Uh, if if you look at what we've done here, we've been able to find talent that supports kind of the, what I'd call the kind of core Ontario orientation, the local, the feet on the ground, that part of our business. But we've also been able to start to invest more actively in talent that supports points spent on a global basis. And so one of the fastest growing parts of our organization right now is our technical uh, team. Uh, and that's one that really will only be limited by uh, kind of our global requirements for capabilities and talent uh, and our ability to, to find uh, great and talented individuals. And so far, that's been really positive for us. We've been able to find people that, that come to this, uh, to this space uh, with the technical skills, in many cases, with experience in the industry because, you know, this industry has existed in non-regulated forms for a little while and there are people who have touched this industry from a technical basis uh, that's been probably the pleasant surprise is that uh, we've been able to kind of continue to make investments in that part of the business. And part of why we felt confident in establishing a foothold here, because, well, you know, how, how big the Ontario orientation gets is highly dependent on how Ontario grows to Amanda's point, how quickly the rest of Canada follows Ontario's example. But when you look at it, you extract out and you look at it in terms of how do you serve a global growing ecosystem? How do you, how do you meet the demands that are coming from the U.S., for example, and its pathway towards all states uh, ultimately one day having uh, a legal option? That um, allows a kind of a, a same time zone neighboring country to play an important role in, uh, in satisfying the kind of the employment uh, requirements. So. We talked about this last night, Scotty, too, where there's there's the company has quickly realized, you know, Australia is where the company has its roots in the U.S., that there is a lot of Canadian talent here. And, and the people that are working here, they're just not helping your Canadian business. They're having an impact on the entire points bet operation. They are, you know, like, so tech is an easy way to talk about that. But it goes, you know, think about our compliance team and the lessons that we're learning from the new uh, framework that's in place in Ontario, which I, I think is just... It's, a, it's proving to be a fantastic framework for so, so the, the architects that kind of were in the early con conception of it, I get to tip my hat uh, and congratulate them on a well-designed, uh, a well-constructed uh, kind of competitive model. Uh, from a marketing perspective, you know, we're having to learn, for example, here how to market without all the tools that might be in place south of the border. 
Uh, and that's forcing us to spend more time thinking about what does the brand mean and how do you connect the brand in a meaningful way to this category, as opposed to just splashing incentive dollars, for example, which is the, the denominator that kind of the U.S. is starting to wean itself off of a, a little bit uh, as it's trying to find a more sustainable pathway for the American market. And, you know, and I'm, I'm optimistic. Our roots, if you look at Australia, you know, 75% of our activity in Australia, we were talking about this last night, is on horse racing. And so if you go right to the beginning of points bet, our, our orientation was on that well-established mature category um, in Ontario. That, that category still hasn't sort of uh, been fully defined in terms of its participation in this space. And so once that's an option as well, I'm excited about the ability for for us to learn from uh, the global ecosystem around that, but us also to bring that part to the equation as well. So for me, it's um, like it's been an amazing journey. Uh, I'm, I'm continuously amazed that I reflect on this all the time, but like those first conversations a little more than a year ago, where it was Nick and I over uh, uh, over a, a pint at a, at a table, we were calling that our first office meeting kind of thing. And now, uh, I'm, I'm very proud of what the team has worked hard to achieve here and, and the roots that we're putting down and what that means for our commitment to the Canadian opportunity. And Invest Ontario had a pretty prominent place in the news release that went out first thing this morning. I'm just Can you maybe talk a little bit about that relationship and why it was important to have them in, in this release? For sure. And, and I'll let Nick kind of come over the top on this as well because uh, he was certainly uh, at the center of, of what we've been doing there. But look... When we're trying to figure out, uh, you know, where to set down roots and and how to kind of, um, you know, establish yourself in a given geography, uh, it's helpful to have friends uh, that understand that understand the system and understand uh, how we can benefit from it and can help us understand how to make the case, for example, around the investment opportunity and the talent profiles that we talked about, etc. And so, for us, Invest Ontario has been a partner in that regard. I'm excited to celebrate with them this evening. They'll be joining us. Trevor will be coming here and spending time with us this, uh, this evening, which will be you know, an opportunity for him to sort of see some of the fruits of his labor. Um, we have those same relationships in Alberta. Like, so we'll go back a year, we made the same kind of commitments in Alberta that we made in Ontario around trying to uh, understand what the art of the possible was in, in that. And uh, For a new company in a new industry, it's helpful to have some friends that are willing to kind of help steer you uh, in and avoid some of the test and learn that might otherwise be the case. Well, and, and like, we're not foolish enough to think that we know everything. And there's a correlation between even the way that PointsBet Canada operates. We spend a lot of time and energy um, picking the brains, working through questions and problems with the incredible experts that we have across the, across the world, our Australian team and our U.S. team, we rely on them to help us navigate our day-to-day. So it only makes sense when we want to build our business in a new location, whether it's here in Ontario, which is new, or it's eventually in Alberta alongside Invest Alberta, we want to be able to rely on the experts within those regions to help us figure out how to grow the most efficient way possible because growing for us isn't just acquiring a customer. We have an office in downtown Toronto now. With that comes a lot of other things that we have to be aware of and we're also recruiting people. So we want to be able to have 
the ability to call up our partners in Invest Ontario and ask them questions around where we can find the best talent for X and things like that, because literally the rising tide lifts all boats. And that's kind of the same, it's the same philosophy that we have from an operations perspective for our business, relying on our colleagues around the world. Yeah, and I think this is, a, this is an industry point. Like, we made a very explicit choice. It's not the normative choice, right? So our decision to be on the ground, have a local team, is uh, is one that we've taken. There are a few other operators that have taken that. But I, I, my assessment is that over time, as this industry matures and grows, that more and more companies will see the benefit, whether it's directly in, in pursuit of their Ontario aspiration or just the benefit of the labor and talent pool that will continue yeah. to develop and mature here to start to build more of an employment footprint in this province. And, uh, you know, look at the what points that will do in Ontario will never never amount to what the full industry could do in Ontario. And let's face it, this is one of the fastest growing, most exciting technical industries out there. Um, it, this is honestly, in many days, this feels more like running a wealth simple than it does uh, running a sort of a, a traditional uh, casino operation or something like that. And so from that perspective, I think there's just an incredible next generation of talent that will emerge to this category. And the more that we see others start to put down roots, whether those are functional teams or, or full-fledged P&L uh, stacks, the more that this becomes uh, an industry that will start to f provide opportunities across uh, the various different players. And I can't wait for that to happen because it means we will all uh, benefit from uh, a stronger, smarter workforce. Yeah, and I think if you look at the three of us in this room, like our career paths are, are come from different areas. And here we're sitting here in a room today and we talked about that Waterloo Toronto corridor yeah. last night on the tech front and how, you know, I remember talking to Kelly Brooks a quarter four or eight or nine months ago and trying to find engineers a couple of years ago and, and getting five resumes. And today, every time the quarter four puts out a, a job application, they're getting 140 engineering students yeah. applying for jobs. So the, this is an industry that touches so many different kinds of talent and different skill set. I think that's that's one of the things I get excited about when I talk with people like you and Nick. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. Look, we, we're just having a lot of fun. So. Well, no, you're having fun. I'm not worried how worried you are. I thought you weren't working at all. No, no, Anyways, you came I, back full circle. I'm gonna. Uh, I, I need to jump, but uh, but I appreciate the few minutes of conversation we've had. I'll leave you in next capable hands. But uh, thank you for being here today. I'm, I'm really excited. Actually, I woke up this morning. I wasn't even entirely sure that like, I saw you outside the door. I'm like, what are you doing here? And you're like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna run the Twitter Spaces from uh, from your offices today. I'm like, that is a wonderful a wonderful example why it's great to have uh, to have a home base so thank yeah. you for making the time to be here well thanks for your hospitality scotty and for dropping by i know you're busy so and, and enjoy the event tonight oh well for sure thanks scotty one question i i, I did warn nick last night i was going to ask him about this was that uh the news early in the week that, that uh, tim hortons was stepping aside as presenting sponsor a title sponsor of the of the briar i think after 17 years nick i think 2005 was when uh tim hortons first came on board and Obviously, the Canadian Men's Curling Championships, one of the, the marquee showcase sporting events in, in this country. And uh, everybody that listens here and is quite well aware of the fact that, that one of your first partners was, was Curling Canada, if not your first partner. And um, just, you know, just begs the question, is, is the bar something that you would be look, looking at taking a more uh, expanded role as a sponsor? 
I mean, it would be crazy not to consider um, partnering and becoming associated with effectively the, the Super Bowl of curling, right? Um, but the reality for us is we love what we're doing with the Invitational. Uh, we came into the world of curling really wanting to um, focus on a level of differentiation. We want to bring the kind of age of the sport down. We want to make it a bit cooler. You know, not to say that the Briar isn't the biggest and best curling event. It, it, it is. Um, I have, you know, I have uh, goals to make the Invitational as, as cool and as big as the Briar. But, you know, the reality is... We really love what we got started in Fredericton, and we're excited for the future, you know, uh, versions of the Invitational. Um, you know, I, I think that we haven't existed um, in a, a like PointsBet hasn't been live operating um, during a briar yet. If this opportunity and this conversation was sparked next year after we had an actual briar under our belt, and as we know, the briar this year is actually in Ontario, in a market that we can actually acquire and, and customers and, and engage them and, and market to them, um, you know, we'd probably be in a different position. But the reality is, I think from a Curling Canada perspective, I'm just excited. I'm excited as a partner of Curling Canada for them to be taking out their flagship property right now to see what type of value they can get, which I think is going to be significant. And I'm also excited because the next partner of the Briar, I believe will also have a passion and an excitement for the growth of curling like we have. And so I'm excited to collaborate and, and meet and work with whomever takes the reins of the Briar. Hey, could it be us? Sure, it's, it's possible. I mean, the news is very new, and we have a big uh, we have a big event today, Steve. I'm not sure if you know about it. So our, our, our brainwaves have been a little bit. Uh, and we had the Great Cup last week. Anyway, um, it's definitely something that that is we we have to think about, right? But um, we're, we're we're measuring our excitement with that excitement of the Invitational, what we started building. You know, single elimination curling tournament, man. Like that was it was so fun. So I think. You know, I would never want to lose that. The question is, can we add on to it? That's another story. And, you know, we'll see. But regardless, whoever they get for the Briar is going to add a lot to the world of curling. Yeah. And there's some runway here. Obviously, Tim Hortons is in for the 2023 Briar. And then we'll have a new title exactly. sponsor for 2024. I do want to mention that uh, Mike and Singh from the Room 442 Soccer Show is going to join us around 245. They're the, the James Sherman and that gang's watching the first half of the second slate of matches today, but we want to get Mikey on to talk about Canada's performance in guitar and, and look forward a little bit. Hey, I want to get in the headlines and I want, a bit. I want to get Amanda back up here. Um, a lot of hard news this week. I, I was joking with, with Nick and, uh, and Pat Eichner that uh, it was nice to have an office opening as, as a bit of uh, something a little bit lighthearted for the newsletter because we... Uh, we obviously uh, had some reaction from the Canadian Gaming Association to the, the Christine Dobby story in the Toronto Star last weekend around uh, around VIP customers and, and whether or not they're they're you know they're being taken advantage of in some way. Um, the Auditor General's uh, Office of Ontario came out with this annual report yesterday. 
uh, very, very detailed in, in several areas, uh, including a section dedicated to the Ontario, uh, the Ontario Lottery and Gaming Corporation. Um, I guess just from, from a high level, uh, um, the Auditor General's office expressed some concerns with, uh, with, with uh, I think they believe the OLG could do more in the area of responsible gambling, which uh, I certainly want Amanda's take on that because everything that I've been told since we started this newsletter is that the OLG is a leader uh, in responsible gambling, not, not, just, uh, not just in Ontario, but uh, across Canada and around, around the world. Um, Robert Benzie, the, the Bureau, uh, Queen's Park Bureau Chief for the Toronto Star, had an interesting story about the Auditor General's office actually sending some undercover agents to, to um, uh, I guess, poke and prod around the anti-money laundering practices of, of some of those OLG casinos. And, and uh, so there's some findings from that. But Amanda, maybe I'll just uh, turn over to you for for a minute, and just you know what what stuck out to you about the about the Ottawa General's report. Uh, well, we knew it was coming, and we knew there would be a section on the OLG. And for anyone who has worked in the Ontario industry for a long time, um, what was written on the OLG did not come as a really big surprise. And I think there's a lot of hope that it can be used as a bit of a catalyst to you know, affect some, some much needed and overdue change in that organization. It's had a history of hiring CEOs who have zero experience in the space. Um, you know, it has a large number of employees, uh, despite the fact that it has handed the day-to-day -day operations of its land-based industry over to the private sector. Um, and it seems to have a mandate that, you know, is really focusing their time and attention on competing with the private sector. Um, if you've got any friends who run casinos you'll know they've kind of inserted themselves into the operating day-to-day -day operations of the casinos with a lot of duplication of agco standards and um, the casino operators have basically been a little bit hamstrung and being able to deliver on any of their revenue commitments so there's a lot of stuff that is broken and there's a lot of there's a lot of room for improvement and changes so that's like a really high level version i think there's an important role for the old gene ontario um but i really think that there's a lot of red tape that still exists on the land-based side you know blg has blocked those operators from from partnering with any of these sports books to build retail sports books branded retail sports books so you know if you're kind of being you know have one hand tied behind your back as you're trying to run your casino it's no surprise that they haven't met those revenue figures on the lack of RG tool uptake. I too found that very surprising. That would not be what I expected. Um, but then again, you know, you, you do take things coming out of the attorney general's office um, with, uh, or sorry, auditor general's office with a, with a small grain of salt as well. So hopefully there's some positive change that comes out of the OLG. But again, those of us who work in the industry and have had dealings with it, none of this really came as much of a surprise. Yeah, I think Amanda Bonnie Lizick, if I remember last year, came under a bit of bit of fire for, for again not really understanding the gaming industry. And someone did mention to me when the report was about to come out yesterday that uh, the anti money laundering thing wasn't quite as quite as serious as as uh, as the report would would make it seem. Um, like I'm far more concerned that Ontario's car insurance rates are the highest of any province with the lowest reported, you know, incidences of accidents. So, you know, <laughs> I'm more concerned about the car insurance rates 
than I am about some of the, the to your point, the AML charges at the land-based casinos. So, yeah. Nick, do you want to weigh in on that at all? No, I mean, Amanda understands the world of land-based far better than I. I mean, the only thing that I would say in relation to us as an online operator is, I mean, we, we you know, KYC and geolocation and some of our, some of the digital tools that we need to verify users on sign up, which at times causes all of us in the industry a level of frustration because sometimes it's not so easy to get folks through that full KYC process. But what that does in instances like this is it really does help us stay on top of our AML protocols a lot more efficiently than I think a lot of land-based casinos uh, probably do. But again, I'm not one really, I don't have a big knowledge base when it comes to kind of AML in relation to land-based. Right. I do want to mention, too, we, we asked uh, Paul Burns, the president and CEO of the Canadian Gaming Association, to, to, to come back on Twitter Spaces this week, but Paul's actually uh, somewhere between London, England, and Toronto right now, flying home after picking up his uh, Lifetime Achievement Award from the Vixio Gambling Compliance Awards last night. So we, we, we passed on congratulations to, to Paul, and uh, I know uh, Paul was hoping to join uh, Nick and Scotty and everybody else here at the, at the office opening uh, this afternoon, but uh, I guess it's, uh, he, he had sent Nick a note and said his flight, he was flying, uh, his flight was behind, so he's, he's probably not going to make it. Well, he also sent me a note to read to everybody and said, feel free to edit. So I think I might, uh, I might take that liberty. I would never, ever <laughs> suggest that to Nick Salsky. That, that, that's, uh, I'm surprised that a veteran like Paul would make that kind of yeah. a full pile. <laughs> so, um, also want to mention a, a bit of breaking news while we're getting ready for, for spaces here at the uh, uh, AGCO. AGCO came out with an announcement, I guess, around noon hour that they've asked, well, not, not asked, I guess, they've ordered sports books in Ontario to take, uh, to remove UFC from, from uh, action on, on, on sports books across the province. If you follow the newsletter the last couple of weeks, there's been some, uh, um, there's an investigation into, uh, into integrity and match fixing involving some UFC fights and I just saw um, over the lunch hour as well that the FBI may be getting into getting involved in this investigation as well. Um, I'll maybe just ask Nick first, and then Amanda. We were talking about this Nick before the the show. Is just you know how quickly can can points bet? How quickly can you take that that down? And how is that a serious issue for you? Well, no, I mean it's a serious issue because the AGC always told us to take it down, right? Um, and we will. Uh, and I'm literally on the app right now, and I believe it is down. So, I mean, I know that we, we action that pretty quickly. Um, so, you know, I, I imagine that, um, well, I should say, I hope that all other, you know, uh, regulated operators follow suit and take it down. I mean, from what I understand at this point, it's all pretty new. But from what I understand, this is more of a temporary not a like a it's not going to be a forever thing it's going to be hopefully as short as possible so um but that you know at that point or at this point yeah we're we've taken it down hey man i, I would assume that this this has happened in other sports before because we it's not like there has been match fixing in the past well but remember I, if you're coming in to get a license in ontario and offering sports you have to sign with one of the two sports integrity monitors and it's for this yeah. exact reason 
So this was not a, to your point, this was not a request. Every operator got it. And we have to confirm in writing by tomorrow that we have removed all UFC bed and bedding products because UFC has no governing body. And as you mentioned, they're aware of instances where insiders like coaches and athletes have been betting. So until UFC cleans itself up and adheres, you know, proves it can adhere to the registrar standards, we no operator will be permitted to reinstate them. So I don't know how uh, important this is to UFC. I don't know how quick they're going to act, but it's really the balls in their court to, to clean up their practices. I, I would think that the UFC would want to get this taken care of really, really quickly because it can't, it can't be good for the sport. Um, if you, yeah, I don't know how quick I don't know how quickly you institute a governing body and you roll out athlete and you know coach education <laughs> and you put in all the checks and balance. Like all I'm saying is I don't think it's going to be before Christmas. But that's yeah. there is a heavy lift. We take this very seriously as an operator. Um, so does the sport integrity. Um, bodies that monitor these things and so do the regulators so it can't be a slapdash approach they're really going to have to demonstrate that they've instituted the proper checks and balances and controls and until they satisfy the agco you know they're going to be yeah i mean the good the good news is that to amanda's point there are a number of companies who who literally are focused on integrity monitoring and providing integrity training for sports one of them um, is actually located in Las Vegas. I know that they have relationships with the UFC, so I can only imagine how busy today has gotten for them. And to Amanda's point, I think it's only a matter of time. Would it could it be before Christmas? We get a little Christmas miracle. That would be that would be nice. But ultimately, yeah, again, it's it's a short term reality that will hopefully fix this potential issue that the sport is facing. Right, right. right. And just a different case, different sport, but we also found out this week that uh, uh, Marty Fish and Bob Bryant, both uh, captains of the uh, U.S. Davis Cup team, were fined $10,000 for, for posting. I, I think they were doing some promotional work for DraftKings, uh, posted something on their social media channels, and were, um, uh, you know, had their hands slapped for, for doing that. And again, I think we've talked about this here very often. This, there is an education uh, education process here, but... I think, Nick, it's fair to say that every stakeholder in the industry, that you, you want to make sure, like, integrity is top of mind, and, and you nobody wants their sport being under question and, and uh, you know, things flying under the radar that shouldn't be. A hundred percent. But I, I think what it also does is it is it shines another light on a conversation that I don't know if we've had in this forum. I think we probably have, but... You know, there's integrity in professional sports, and then there's integrity in junior sports. So there has been big debates, even within this office, within, I think we've had this conversation, is around things like the CHL. Right. You know, World Junior Hockey Championship is about to start, right? We're, and a majority of those players are above the age of majority. Most of those players who play are over the age of 19, but they are still technically amateur athletes, Right. CHL, I'm a, I have a very strong opinion around whether or not there should be gambling allowed on CHL games, and ultimately you can tell by whether or not PointsBet has it on their product. So, um, you know, I, I think that the integrity piece that's facing the industry right now, even though it looks like it's going to be short-lived and it's UFC-focused, um, I, I think that the conversation around integrity is not going to go away, nor should it, right? And I think it's... Uh, 
I think it's going to be it's going to be more and more important as more sports evolve. Things like pickleball, right? right? Some of these new sports that are gaining momentum, that are gaining popularity, where there is a level of professionalism, but the money that athletes can make in these new sports wouldn't necessarily make um, integrity issues just go away because of the nature of how much money they have at stake, if that makes sense. Yeah. Hey, man, to the next point, is that not why it's so important that, that you have regulated industries because there is going to be so much more oversight over match fixing or in, in issues with integrity than there, there would be in the old Wild West or, or gray market? A hundred percent. And you just need to spend like 10 minutes speaking with anyone at the Canadian Centre for Ethics and Sports to understand that. Um, and it had been a huge, huge, huge problem. Um, so absolutely, Steve, you're bang on. Yeah, and Amanda mentioned, you mentioned on the, the show, I think three weeks ago now, that uh, that uh, at next summer's Canadian uh, Gaming Summit in Toronto, there's, there's going to be uh, a, a substantial portion of the agenda is going to be dedicated to integrity monitoring match fixing, which I think is fantastic. And I actually think it's one of those issues that, um, you know, mainstream media has been very slow to cover this industry so far, but I think... I think that's a topic that might actually get people interested, and and it's it's an important topic, and it's something Amanda, you and I have talked about it, uh, you know, away from this forum, and, and Nick, we've talked about it as well. Um, but it is one of those things I think that really resonates with with sports fans who are maybe newcomers to betters, and it's certainly something that's on the radar of of sports associations who who really haven't had a lot to do with sports betting. Amanda, I want to just quickly with you and Nick. Um, you know the Christine Dobby article, and and, and again, I'm I'm never going to uh, you know I, I'm I'm a journalist by trade, and I'm never going to slam somebody for an article they wrote. Um, obviously, the, the Christine's piece last weekend did raise some eyebrows, and if you ha- haven't had a chance to read it, I think the essence of it, and Amanda, you and Nick will correct me if I'm way off base here, is that um, that there that there was uh, an allegation by by a person that uh, there are some operators in Ontario who. Uh, aren't cutting off VIP customers who who may have uh, who may have a gambling uh, problem, and, and that they do everything they can to make sure that those VIP customers stay, which obviously would be would be a major uh, would be a major problem. Um, you know, it's interesting to talk to a few people this week and some back and forth, and the one thing I'm, uh, Nick and I were talking about this last night with some other people and. Um, you know, there's upselling goes on in every industry, uh, whether, you know, you're, you're buying a car or you're, you're looking for sales at the grocery store or right now with, uh, you know, 24 days left for those of us to do Christmas shopping, um, looking for looking for those bargains either inside a store or, or uh, virtually. Um, and I think t- someone made the point to me in an email that on the other side of the fence that you do have VIP customers who play the operators off against each other, and if they don't like the if they don't like the bonuses they're being offered by one operator, they'll go they'll go down the street to the next operator. Um, Amanda, I just maybe I'd love to get your thoughts on it, and, and I'll get Nick's as well. But I'll, I'll start with you first, Amanda. Well, I I did say, I think to you, Steve, is never trust an article that leads with a UK example, um, because the UK culture is so different. They've had a a very mature licensed market for more than a decade. They have, you know, betting shops, 
sprinkled very liberally on their high streets. And that is not what Ontario looks like or is. So to, to just infer that because something happens in the UK, happens here, usually I immediately discredit the article because it means someone is writing about a topic they don't understand and they're not trying very hard to understand. The other thing too is um, I really resented um, the article's um, decision to turn VIP hosting into some sort of dirty um, or underhanded term, because to your point, Steve, I expect when I spend a certain amount of money to get other perks and privileges that other people don't, that is, I would assume any person's experience, you pay for the upgrade, you expect to get more features, more benefits, you know, more things tossed your way. So I don't know of a single industry that doesn't have some sort of rewards category for the amount of spend of their customers. Every industry has something like this, including the online gambling industry. And if you are at any way uh, an operator or you know working in this industry and have brushed up against the RG standards that we all must follow or we will be severely sanctioned, um, you would understand that what is being alleged is absolutely 100% illegal. So, you know, I was a little shocked the Toronto Star would run a story with an unnamed source. Um, and the fact that you both had Ray Connor and Paul Byrne saying, why wasn't this behavior? Why wasn't this reported to the AGCO? They could have opened an investigation. So, you know, the fact that none of the correct steps were followed and you just decided to sling mud at the industry. Um, all in all, I, you know, I kind of hope by 2022, that's not what we're going to see pop up in, in, in Toronto. Um, so clearly, as an industry, we still have a lot of work to do. Yeah, Nick? Uh, I could not have said it any better. I mean, you and Amanda nailed it. Thanks, Amanda. That was easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, Nick and Amanda, I want to get your thoughts, too. The, the American Gaming Association came out with their latest report yesterday. And, and for those of us that were at the Global Gaming Expo in Las Vegas back in October, uh, Bill Miller, the AGA uh, president, talked about $300 billion being spent in, on unregulated or illegal sports books and, and uh, casinos uh, but by, by Americans. And uh, the report that came out this week, that number has increased to 500, uh, I think 550 billion or 500 billion, um, which is a staggering number. The, the, the one question I, I, I do have, Amanda, and I think this is something that was talked about in the New York Times series, and, and uh, you know, I, I, I am curious where that data, where that data comes from. But, but I'll ask you because you, you, you're a lot more familiar with the industry than I am. Like, is that, does that number surprise you? Um, to be to be honest, I don't pay too much attention to the states, um, but I know that because you know, like PointsBet Kindred does hold several licenses in several jurisdictions. If you look at a state like California um, that doesn't have you know any sort of legalized gaming in it, online gaming in it right now, you look at some of the more populous states that might just be limiting their offering to sports betting with no casino. Um, so the number, I have no idea how the AGA managed to figure that number out, um, but it doesn't necessarily surprise me given that you have some really huge states with a lot of people in them that have either no eye gaming or only sports betting. So, you know, as, as I've, I'm, 
sort of been saying for a long time, you know, this activity is taking place. So if you want to be able to at least, you know, get your share out of it revenue wise as a state and offer consumer protections and make sure everyone's playing by the same rules, your only option at this point is to open your market up and license as many operators as want to come in. So, yeah, applies to Canada too. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, again, that number, it's hard to kind of wrap your head, wrap your hands and your head around a number that big, but to Amanda's point, I mean, California, Florida, and Texas, three of the biggest states in the U.S., three of the biggest sports states in the U.S. I would, you know, outside of New York, I mean, you don't have bigger sports crowds. I mean, Cal- and California's, what is it? What's the, what's the California as like the 15th biggest economy on planet Earth or something like that? I mean, whatever. Um, so the reality is those three states not having a legal framework right now definitely is contributing to the size and scale of that number. And, you know, there's been some positive momentum that Texas will come, will come into the white space this coming year. California, unfortunately, doesn't look like uh, it's on the horizon. Florida, again, a little bit of, you know, who, who really knows. But I think that what we're learning here in Ontario, and I think what a lot of the states are learning um, is that a regulated market works and it actually does peel out the, you know, black market, gray market sports bettors and brings them into the, you know, brings them into the regulated white. So, yeah, I think it's only a matter of time. It's just, you know, certain places are going to take longer. Hey, I want to get uh, Michael Singen here, um, co- co-host, uh, footy expert uh, from the Room 442 group. And uh, Michael, thanks for, for taking a break from those uh, from those two o'clock games to join us for a few minutes and talk about the World Cup so far. Um, in case you missed it, Canada played their final uh, round robin match this morning, lost two one to Morocco. And Michael, I'll turn the floor over to you just to, to give us uh, give us your thoughts on Canada's performance at this tournament. Yeah, um, it's 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 a lot to take in, I think. When uh, when you consider where this team is at, the Canadian men's national team, uh, before the start of this tournament, and just how much expectations were raised after the the performance against Belgium, from that perspective, it's a little bit disappointing with the way that they went out. But taking a step back and thinking about how far that this this team and specifically the men's national team has come in the last two years, even uh, I think that instills a lot of hope and a lot of belief within not only themselves but i think canada overall as a country like one thing i I really noticed was the country as a whole getting behind the men's national team uh, in ways i i haven't seen yet and that was one of their objectives one of their goals heading into the start of this year and start of this tournament um was to really instill belief within within Canada, people who don't watch this team from a week-to-week basis or, you know, throughout their whole journey. And I think they really did accomplish that that feat um, early on in this tournament. I think it it gets a lot of people excited, their performance. It, it's making a lot of people excited for 2026, the World Cup. So, um, yeah, overall, bittersweet is the best word I think I would use to describe it because I think their performance wasn't the greatest, but at the same time, some moments and flashes that I think will go a long way in, in propelling this team forward. Hey, Michael, that performance, how much do you attribute it to, to maybe jitters and, you know, a country that hasn't been in the World Cup since 1986? And even though 
some of the some of our Canadian players are are playing with with big big clubs, whether it's in the Premier League or the the Bundesliga or other European leagues. You know, how much of it was that, and how much of it is the fact that uh, I think a lot of us who don't follow soccer closely underestimated that Canada was in a group against you know the Moroccans and, and Croatians who are both going through out of Group F, and and the Belgians who. Uh, have been a top ranked uh, top ranked country for a long time. Like how how do you balance that? Yeah, I think your your first first point is is so important, Steve. And the fact that Canada's never been at this stage. And when I say the stage, I don't just mean playing World Cup games in in the moment. I mean playing competition of of this level and this stature. Uh, they've never faced a team as good as Croatia. They've never faced a team as good as Belgium. They haven't faced a team as good as Morocco before. And I'm also, obviously, I'm on the Toronto FC beat. And Bob Bradley, who is the head coach of Toronto FC now, he was the head coach of the U.S. men's national team um, in 2006 and 2010, I believe. And those years that the men's national team, the U.S., they went on to make a run in that tournament. One of the things that he said was really important to that team, and one of the experiences they drew on was just how much before the tournament, the four years leading up to that tournament, uh, they were able to play top level sides like a brazil like in argentina like other teams in europe uh before that tournament because it helped them prepare for that moment canada wasn't able to do that and there are a lot of reasons obviously covid is a big one uh, but it really was a, a fast forward track to the point where they are now um so it, I think that factor is huge. And also, yeah, when I, when I take a step back and I think at the end of this World Cup where we're evaluating the groups, I don't think it's that much of a stretch to suggest that Canada was in the toughest group in this tournament. If not the toughest, then definitely the top three. Um, if you were to swap Canada and the U.S.'s places, we might be talking about Canada in a whole different light right now. So I think that is a factor, but you know, there's little things that you can kind of point to along the way, which... One of them being quality of this this team overall, which was the difference. So yeah, a lot a lot of different things, Steve. Hey, Mikey. Before I let you get back to the games, just just quickly, uh, any uh, any surprises so far, either you know on, on the good side or, or major disappointments, and has your mind been changed at all on who you think is going to win this tournament? Oh yeah, that's a that's a great question. I mean, I think the biggest major disappointment was Belgium in Canada's group. The world number two, according to the FIFA rankings, didn't even make it out of their group, uh, which is shocking because this is the team. This is supposed to be their golden generation of this of this team, and they they fell short once again. Uh, but biggest surprises on that same line is Morocco for for this tournament. I mean, do they have what it takes to go on and make a run? I wouldn't put it past them based on what they've shown. They've shown that they can keep matches really competitive. And if any any betters are listening out there, I mean, they might be worth a little sprinkle there because crazier things, I guess, have happened. And Morocco's Morocco might just be that Cinderella team at this tournament. Mikey, great great insight. Like I said, I really appreciate you hopping on. And, and uh, uh, if you're a soccer fan and you're not watching Room 442 either on Twitter or on, on YouTube, I mean... Mikey and, and James Sharman, Sarah Perry and Albert Bartani. I mean, they're, they're just doing great stuff and they're all over the tournament. They're up early in the morning. They're, they're filing uh, qu- quick game overs on video over Twitter. So, Mikey, keep up the good work and, and, and thanks so much for joining us. Cheers, Steve. Thanks. Get some sleep.
and, and I will say, I will say, Morocco's live odds on points better plus eight thousand to win uh, to win the World Cup. So there you go. That's, that's worth the that's worth the dollar. Amanda, do you want to plug Unibet? Why? What, if, 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 <laughs> before we drop off here. Uh, I actually do not have the sports book open in front of me right now, so I cannot tell you what the odds are on uh, on that. But um, no, we had our first World Cup activation last week and uh, had Dwayne Dero de Rosario down, and a great time was had by all. And I think we'll be back for the World Cup final because the great thing about World Cup in Ontario is it it's too bad Canada didn't make it, but because we are so multicultural. Um, there's still lots of people cheering on every other team that's still playing. So, yeah, we're going to be excited to celebrate whoever comes down to the final two in the middle of December. Yeah, that's a, a great point, Amanda. And even though we don't have the Italians in this tournament, I think, uh, you know, I think, Nick, you've, you've run some World Cup events. Amanda has. We, um, North Star Bats has been doing events. I think Bet99 had something last weekend. It, it just it's just fun, especially as we – you know, get out of a pandemic here. I think it's fun to just get back together and watch sporting events. And it's one of the, it's one of the greatest feelings in the world, Nick, is just sitting with a bunch of buddies or a bunch of strangers all cheering for the same cause. And, and not, nothing brings people together like sports. Nothing brings people together like drinking beer at 10 a.m. On, yeah. a, on a Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> Amanda, do you concur with that? Uh, I was drinking a Caesar, which is a very quintessential early morning beverage um, for our game of Canada versus Croatia. But certainly, there were lots of uh, pints of beer being poured as well. I, I think I think next curling fans are going to be upset because I, my understanding is that I have a, a mom and a stepdad who are avid curlers. I, I believe the beverage of choice in the mornings is uh, coffee and uh, Bailey's. Coffee and Bailey's or Kahlua. So, just a tip, Nick, when you get ready for the Briar and, and the Scotties in the, in the new year. Noted. Noted. Hey, any last, uh, Amanda, any last thoughts before we, before we call it a day? I really need next week to be a quiet week in gaming in Ontario. Ah! I, I would say amen to that. It's funny. Like, I, you know, in journalism parlance, I've banked a bunch of interviews, and I, I'm finding myself sending apology notes on Friday mornings now because, you know, I've... And I have plans to write something in the newsletter, and it gets overtaken by by real, by or not real, by other by other news. So, um, Amanda Brewer from Canada Group, want want to thank you as always for joining us. And and Nick Salsky, yeah, this this is fun to actually get to the city, and rather than sitting in a in my, the basement of my home in Kincard, <laughs> talking to everybody here, to actually sit sit here with you in a room in Toronto and, and do this again. And like I said. Um, you know, props to Pat Eichner, your your communications guy, for for organizing last night's event, and uh, and uh, you know, something I talk with Amanda a lot. Certainly, talk to you and Scotty whenever we run into each other. It's just uh, things like today, this event you're having today, it, it, it's an exciting time for the for the industry, and it, it it really showcases why it was important for this industry to be regulated in Ontario. When you see what people like yourself and Amanda and, and the hiring that's going on and that where you're doing the hiring and that you are giving Canadians opportunities, not, not just to work, but to work in a very dynamic industry. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be an exciting day. I mean, it's been an exciting, you know, year and a half for me here. It's, you know, it's been even more exciting and longer for Amanda in the industry up here. So no, I mean, I think this is just hopefully the first of what will be many 
office openings in Ontario and hopefully across the country over the next couple of years. Well, listen, enjoy the celebration. Uh, congratulations thank again. You. And uh, thanks to Scotty Vanderwell for, for joining us early. And, and thanks, everybody, for joining us today. It's uh, that time of year where the, when the weather gets a little iffy. It was like snowing to beat the band here last night when we were, when we were uh, leaving our leaving the local watering hole to go, go back to our um, hotels and residences after the game. So please, everybody, be safe on the roads. Uh, Happy December. Really hard to believe we're in the last month of 2022. We're the last 12, 11 months go. Um, enjoy your weekend, and we'll look forward to gathering here again next week. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada show, a Parlay Media Group production. Sign up for our weekly newsletter at gamingnewscanada.ca. Follow Gaming News CA on Twitter to join the live audience, and DM us if you're interested in sponsorship or being a featured guest.